the 2nd of June, 1953. Queen Elizabeth crowned as our sovereign queen. And if you can think back what it must have been like, this radiant 25-year-old beautiful princess being conveyed in a glittering carriage, the gold state coach, 300 years old, only ever used for the most solemn of royal occasions, drawn by eight magnificent pedigree horses. And lining the route and guarding her were 30,000 immaculately uniformed men from the armed forces and the police, and they were accompanying a stately procession of about 250 of the most important people in the world. There were 2,000 journalists. I'm not making this up, it's in Wikipedia. <laughs> and 500 photographers from 92 nations. Thousands, hundreds of thousands lined the route, cheering and waving flags, and millions watched on TV and listened on the radio. And they were all filled with such hope of this new Elizabethan age. I was a very small baby at the time, so I don't remember. This was British pageantry at its very best. About 2,000 years ago, Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It was just a few days before he was betrayed by his friends, condemned by the religious leaders, unjustly judged by corrupt politicians, and then subjected, subjected to a cruel flogging and a degrading mock coronation by Roman soldiers who gave him a reed for a scepter and a ragged purple cloth for a robe and forced a viciously sharp crown of thorns upon his head. Then they nailed him to a cross to die a shameful, agonizing death for all to see. Palm Sunday is actually described in all four Gospels. Mark is the most concise, um, but I've enjoyed looking at the details that I found in other versions as well. <clears throat> How he rode through on a donkey, cheering crowds, proclaiming him king, laying down palm branches and their cloaks before him, which was kind of the equivalent of today's red carpet, I suppose. In biblical times, when kings were coming in peace into a city, they did ride in a procession riding on a donkey. Strange, but that's what happened because a donkey was a symbol of peace. And those palm branches, they indicated victory or triumph. Let's for a moment lay us, draw aside the curtain that is between earth and heaven. We saw probably a couple of thousand people watching him come in, proclaiming him, waving palms, but just look for a moment and see the myriads upon myriads of angels who were watching Jesus come in along the road to Jerusalem, knowing what lay before him. And in our hymn, uh, let me read that verse again. Ride on, ride on in majesty. 
The winged squadrons of the sky look down with sad and wondering eyes to see the approaching sacrifice. To the human eye, it was a bit of a sad occasion. A man humbly dressed on a humble beast with a few people waving, what was it about? But we know that this was the most magnificent, the most amazing pageant that the world had ever seen when you look at it in heavenly terms. Of course, the crowd, many of them were there because they had heard or, or knew about the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And uh, this caused a huge stir, uh, not, amongst, not only amongst the people who knew him, but also among the religious la- uh, leaders. And of course, all of others, Jesus' healing and teaching. So the people there really were, had such high hopes in this coming king. And they shouted songs of praise from the Psalms. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. They were hoping that he was the longed-for Messiah of the house of the King of David, King David, who was going to restore Israel to its former glory and throw out the hated Roman occupiers. They couldn't see that he wasn't riding out as a revolutionary, but he was riding to death. So what is Palm Sunday about and why is it important? Well, I think there's three things. It's about Jesus identifying himself as the king and his riding into battle. It's about the way that Jesus spoke and acted completely unlike any other king before or since. And thirdly, it's about how we respond to Jesus' offer to be part of his heavenly kingdom. So let's look at how he identified himself as the king as he came riding into battle. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly the message that he was sending. He had spent agonizing hours already speaking to his father about what was to come. He had predicted his death and his resurrection three times uh, in, in the days preceding this, talking to his disciples. And Palm Sunday was the moment when he revealed his kingship. Before then, if you remember, when he healed somebody, he would say, please don't tell everybody. Keep it quiet. Go back, confess to the priest, do whatever it has to be done. But don't, please, uh, tell everybody. Uh, I guess he did that because it, it was difficult enough to manage the crowds as it was. So often he had to sit in a boat and be, go out so that uh, he wouldn't be mobbed. Um, I guess that was why. But not today. Today he was unashamedly um, and accepting this praise and worship that was coming from the crowds. And it was a bit like uh, it says in Psalm 24. I love that psalm. uh, You remember it perhaps. It says, lift up your heads, you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, 
the Lord mighty in battle. And that's the same Jesus who was coming in humbly on a donkey. Now, Matthew's account of Palm Sunday points out how he fulfilled a particular prophecy in the Old Testament from the prophet Zechariah, who wrote this, Rejoice greatly, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we remember the interesting way in which Jesus knew that the, the animal, the right animal would be there when he sent the disciples in to collect it. Whether he, he knew in the spirit or whether he popped around earlier and uh, made an arrangement with the owner, we don't know. But anyway, this prophecy was being fulfilled. And scholars believe that in the Old Testament, there are probably about 300 prophecies about Jesus. And uh, the mathematical probability of him randomly fulfilling the, even a handful of them, let alone all of them, is actually staggeringly improbable, probably impossible. So um, if we're wondering, um, how do we know that the Bible is true? How do we know that the Holy Spirit has moved in the hearts and the minds of the writers of the 66 books of the Bible. Uh, that's a really good um, reminder, something to think about, that way back, hundreds of years before, all kinds of prophecies were made about his ancestry, about his birth, where he would be born, how it would be, his life, the way that he healed and, and did miracles, many prophecies about his death and his resurrection and many yet to be fulfilled, his coming again as a king, this time to judge the world and to put all wrong things right. So Palm Sunday wasn't just a royal visit to kind of glad hand and take bunches of flowers from um, admiring people. It was the beginning of a battle. So... What battle was it? And who was the battle against? Well, I suppose two groups, really. One is the religious leaders who were so incensed by what he said and the way that he uh, criticized their hypocrisy and the way that they uh, went by the letter of the law but completely ignored the grace and mercy that they should have been sharing with the people. And uh, he'd made no secret to them of his claims to be the son of God. And he knew that they were plotting to kill him. They tried many times to arrest him, but because it wasn't the right time, they hadn't succeeded. But as well as the religious leaders, his earthly enemies, there were also the spiritual forces. Remember way back before he began his ministry in the desert when the devil came to him and tempted him and Jesus... Uh, set aside those temptations and uh, didn't give in to any of them, as we know. But the devil hadn't gone away, and uh, this was to be the final act in this drama of good versus evil. And John's Gospel says that Jesus, shortly after he rode into Jerusalem, said this, Now is the time for judgment on this world. 
Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. This was going to be the end of the devil. Wonderful. And that's the first meaning of Palm Sunday, how Jesus identified himself as a king riding into battle, coming to rule and coming to save, but not by taking power and killing people, but by losing power and dying himself. So how come he was a king like no other? Two things, really. He came not to be served, but to serve. A donkey was a very humble steed. And uh, it's interesting to remember that the unborn baby Jesus rode on a donkey, didn't he? Before he came, was born into this world, as he was in the womb of Mary and they were traveling to Bethlehem on the back of a donkey 33 years earlier. But his whole life had been spent bringing hope and healing and truth and freedom. He came not to be served, but to serve. And he poured out his life. He who was the Lord of glory had no possessions here. He had no earthly home. And yet he spent himself for the love of others. And so when he came in on Palm Sunday, he didn't come as a king who, who wanted to extend his empire to bring people under subjection to himself. He was coming to enter into this battle to rescue the whole of humanity. He's coming to lay down his life. The Lord of creation, the perfect son of God, the giver of life, Bread of heaven. We could go on and on and on as we think of the many beautiful titles which tell us more about who Jesus was and what he was like. He submitted himself to his father's will and allowed his enemies to have their way as he came into battle. We were in Philippians a few weeks ago, those of you who were in some of the services, and one of the most wonderful passages in the New Testament, I think, is this, describing what had happened. Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage, but rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. And there's a bit more of that, but we'll read it in a minute. So it all happened 2,000 years ago. What's it got to do with us? How do we respond to this unusual story of a king riding on a donkey through the dusty streets into an ancient city? What's it got to do with us today? Well, unlike the crowds then, we live on the other side of Easter. We know what happened next. 
I heard an extraordinary comment on Radio 4 this morning. Um, they said, uh, now in a little while, we're going to have a program when uh, people will discuss whether it is possible to be a Christian without believing the Easter story. I said to Lyndon, what? How is that possible? And in, indeed, in the 1980s, there was um, a Bishop of York who, who thought that this was, pos was, was this, this was possible. But I don't think so. I don't think so. We know what happened at Easter. We know that he died, as he died on the cross, that his last words were, it is finished. All his, his enemies were defeated. And although we don't yet live in the completeness of that victory by any manner of means, there's still so much suffering and pain and evil in the world. He had won the battle, and it happened on the cross, and that's when salvation came. Let's go back to that lovely passage in Philippians. It says, therefore, because he had humbled himself even to death on a cross, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And one day, that'll be a reality that we can see and hear and experience. So how do we respond today? Well, the Holy Spirit speaks to us in many ways, doesn't he? Through the Bible, through other people, through uh, nature, through what we hear in the quietness of our own hearts and many other means as well. So I wonder what he is saying to you this morning. Saying to you about the king of the Palm Sunday, who was also the king on the cross, the king of the empty tomb, and the coming king of glory. What is the Holy Spirit whispering into your soul about this King Jesus? In a few minutes, we'll just take a few moments to be quiet and think about that. Well, we began with contrasting the simplicity of Jesus on a donkey on Palm Sunday with the pomp and circumstance of the Queen's coronation procession. But again, let's never forget that the King will return and every eye shall see him, and this time it will be altogether different, and it will put the coronation of our sovereign queen definitely in the shadows. Can't even begin to imagine what it will be like when Jesus returns, and it will signify the complete and final defeat of the enemy. It'll be a time when he passes judgment on all violence and hatred and cruelty, and inhumanity, and corruption, and exploitation, and deceit. We often ask ourselves, why does God allow evil? Well, this is an answer. He 
is letting it happen now, but one day he will put everything right. The king will come. The king will come. And John the Apostle, in his revelation about that time, wrote this. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and a name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. And on his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. This king is one of the same as the Jesus riding on a donkey. Maybe you've been listening and thinking about this Jesus and you've never actually surrendered your life to him. But you can this morning. As we imagine the scene on Palm Sunday and remember what happened afterwards as Jesus gave his life for you and me, we can do this. We can reflect and realize that sin does separate us from the God who made us in his own image. And when we accept that truth, we can take a step to believe that this Jesus, this King Jesus, died to take that sin away to remove it as far as the east is from the west, to bury it in the deepest sea so that we can be completely clean and forgiven. And when we've realized the reality of sin and taken that little step of faith, we can make a life-transforming decision that's life-binding to trust him. And that's what faith is a decision to trust God. Maybe you've followed him for years, or maybe for not very long, but whatever we are, wherever we are on the journey, he longs this morning, he doesn't overlook any one of us, he longs to come into our lives and reveal more of who he is and help us to become more of who he made us to be. The king of peace, the king of love, who has conquered evil. So in a moment I'm going to pray. But as we do that, let's ourselves lift up our heads, our gates, those ancient doors that the king of glory may come in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, our King of love, thank you for riding into the battle for us. 
And please help us now, each and every one of us, to open up our hearts to receive you, to wait to hear your voice, and be willing to obey your word to us today. Just a few moments of silence.